morning we are continuing our series of We Are, about the values of our church. And um, I hope you all read the bulletin that comes out each week on the email. And um, if you're gracious, you might read the one that I wrote about how important values are, because this is a very significant time in our church. Um, Values are important to us personally. Um, You understand a person because they act out on the values that they hold. And so it's very important for a church to have values because you understand a church because you understand the values that they hold. And so we've been going through this series and we've been looking at the value of family, of authenticity, of diversity. Um, This morning we're going to spend a few minutes looking at the value of grace and then next week Pastor Dave Luthie is going to lead us as we look at the value of advancement. So the wording that we have after time of prayer last year and seeking what God was saying to us about who we are, um, our statement about grace is that everyone is welcome here at our church. No matter what your past, you are welcome with us. And God is calling us to be a welcoming church that shows grace to all. You might be thinking about these values. We're not suggesting that our values are unique to us. But values are like the ingredients that go into the mix. And so our uniqueness or our personality as a church is because of the various values we hold and the amount, if you like, or the degree of investment we have in them. And when you put it together, um, it comes the, the product that God wants. It's a bit like making a cake, isn't it? You can have all of your standard ingredients, but it's how you mix them together that the result is there. And so this morning, as we're going to think about this idea of grace, you know, one of the things that we loved about our church, and we talked about it last week, was that we are a diverse church. We're diverse in terms of um, our origins and our ethnic backgrounds. The staff and I sat down just as an interest on um, Monday morning after Sunday's sermon and said, I wonder how many countries in the world are represented in our congregation by people being born in those countries. Well, we only got to 30, but we were just choosing those from ones that we knew. So if you were born in a really interesting country, let me know, and I'd love to add you to our list um, in that regard. I'm not worried about the name, but just the fact that God's called us to be diverse. He's also called us to be diverse as to minister to all the different age groups and um, so we, we love our children from the youngest to our oldest members in the church. And early in July, if you were sitting in here, we had our holiday kids club. And one of the things that warmed my heart was seeing the junior leaders, that is the high schoolers from our church family, being the leaders and helping out to minister to primary school age children in our community. And it reminded me, Um, when I was a high schooler. And in the church that I grew up in, Acacia Ridge, we had a thing called Vacation Bible School, which I think was the old-fashioned term for Holiday Kids Club. And I remember well that I was asked when I was just in high school to tell the story one day at the Kids Club. And it was sort of like the opportunity for me to start to grow and develop and to be willing to serve God in whichever way I could. And I remember the story to this day. The story went something like this, that there was a young boy um, who was desperate to get away from his home circumstances 
Um, this is probably 100 or 150 years ago. And so he went down to the dock and he decided that he would stow away on one of the boats that was sailing out into the seven seas. And so he took some food and he went in and he hid himself very well in the boat. As the boat went on, he was very careful not to be seen. And so late at night when he thought everybody was asleep, he might sneak out and get a bit of fresh air and then go back to his hiding place. But one night it seemed like things weren't right. The sea was very rough. The ship was rocking and there was lots of noise around and he was sitting there. He was too frightened to come out in case he was discovered, but he was scared because he didn't know what was happening. And in the end, he got to the stage where he decided he had to go up to the deck and see what was happening. And as he did, he realised that the boat was sinking. And there was one lifeboat left and it was full of people and there was the captain of the boat just about to get into the last available seat and to move away from the boat. And as soon as he saw the young boy, without any question, he picked up the young boy and put him in his seat and launched the boat away from the sinking ship. And the captain went down with his ship. And as they were sailing away from the boat, the crewman said to the young boy, you know, the captain laid down his life so you could live. And the boy responded, I must therefore give my life so that the captain didn't die in vain. And that story, when you think about it, tells us a lot about grace. Because grace is the undeserved favour that we receive. Grace is undeserved favour that we receive from God. And grace is the undeserved favour that we show to others as well. There's two themes in the um, Bible that talk about grace, I think, or two major themes. One is that you and I are recipients of grace. That is, that we receive God's grace. And the other one is that God calls all of us who follow the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Saviour to be givers of grace to those people who we come in contact with. Those we know and those that we don't know yet and to those who God leads us to be in contact with. So can we just spend a couple of minutes thinking about these two things? Firstly, about the grace that we receive. And if we went to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is one of the classic verses that um, many of us would have learnt off by heart, we read this statement about God's grace to us. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody should boast. And so the Bible says that you and I are recipients of God's grace because it's a gift from God, not something that we've worked for or earned or um, achieved in some way or is, are deserving of. And I, I, I love going down through the verses in Romans when you want to think about the magnitude of this gift of God. And in Romans 3.23, it tells us about the world's problem, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a hopeless situation. If you go to Romans 6 verse 23, it tells you the wages or the consequences of sin is death. 
And so you and I, in our natural state, born into this world, have an insurmountable problem that we can't save ourselves. But Romans 6 verse 23 goes on to say, but the gift of God, the grace of God, is eternal life. And if we go to Romans 5 verse 8, he tells us this, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. There's a very strong theme as we read the Bible for us to think about how indebted we are to God because of the grace that he chose to favour us with. One of the things as I thought about it was that while I remember learning Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I don't remember learning Ephesians 2, 10. And it seems to me that verse 10 is just as important in what Paul is saying here about grace. He says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that's where the, re, the giving of grace comes in. We understand that God's grace to us was that we were saved to him, but we're not saved just so that we can say, that's good, I'm safe, but we were saved so that we could do the very things that God wanted us to do to others. And certainly that is about giving grace. It's a very strong principle in the scripture that we are givers of grace. If we take some of the, the clear teachings, for example, in the Lord's Prayer, and it talks about sin, we ask God to forgive us our sins. That's God giving us grace. And we are also praying that we might forgive others as God has forgiven us. This idea that we are both receiving grace and giving grace is important. And this is the heart of the value that we as a church want to hold. Therefore, it's not surprising that God is calling us to be a church that shows grace. It's not surprising that God calls us to, to be able to want to say this, everyone is welcome here at our church, no matter what our past and whatever, um, you are welcome here. And I can speak with some experience because my wife and I have been at this church for 18 months and we have experienced the grace of people in this church who have welcomed us and accepted us into this congregation um, freely without strings attached. And in fact, I thought to myself as I was preparing this message that on behalf of many of us who are sitting here today who may have only been here in the last couple of years, we want to thank you who have been here for the long term for the grace that you have shown us and welcomed us into your church family here as well. Paul, when he writes to the churches, doesn't only want us to be givers of grace, but he wants us to grow in grace. And so if we value grace, then we want to become more gracious, more graceful, more grace-filled in what we do. And so if we're looking for a few minutes in Colossians chapter 4, we find there in Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 to 4, that so much of who we are comes out of our relationship with God and prayer is a very important part of that. It says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
It's interesting that when Paul is writing to the church at Colossae um, about grace, it starts because the people are praying together. It's interesting to me that um, when we started to think about values, we didn't start by trying to describe our values. We as a church spent a season in prayer asking God to speak to us and make clear what were the values that he wanted us to have. And following that pre- um, those verses in Colossians 4 about prayer, in verse 5 and 6, um, we see that Paul is saying that we show grace to the newcomers or the strangers or the people that we don't know yet. And he says this, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer everyone. It's very encouraging to know that God is calling us to be welcomers to those who are coming in to explore and to seek after God. Um, At a church level, God calls us to be a welcoming church. It's kind of interesting. A couple of people have asked me over the last period of time, why is it that we as a church don't have a roster of people to welcome people when they come to church? You know, many churches do that and that's, that's great and, and we've probably done it here in the past. But people say, Stephen, you're supposed to be overseeing welcome and connection. Why don't we have a whole roster and every week have somebody there saying hello to people as they come in? Let me tell you the reason why we don't do it. Because God calls us to be a welcoming church, not to have a roster to delegate out welcoming to just a few people. We are blessed by a team that I call my welcoming and connection coordinating team and you probably all know them but their job is not primarily to welcome you as you come in the door. Their their job is to try and make sure that we continue to link people in the church to one another so that we all get to know each other. You probably notice that we'll often come alongside, um, if you've been here more than two weeks, we'll probably come alongside you sometimes and say, how about going over and talking to that person over there? I think they're new. We encourage one another to be going out and to reaching. And so can I commission you all today that if you've been here more than two weeks, you are all on the welcoming team. And can I actually even make a bold suggestion? This is something that I've done when I was a member of a church, not a leader of a church. Um, Maybe God would put on our hearts as a church that after church, before we go and talk to our friends and the people we know well, we would look around and see if there was somebody in the building or somebody outside having a coffee who we don't know well or we don't know at all, and we might just go and say, hello, how are you? introduce ourselves as we go through and I know what's going to happen Um, you're going to say but we're not trained to do that it's a bit scary it's all right for Stephen Ball he'll talk to anybody but you don't know me well I tell you what I think the Bible says that God wants us to be welcomers Um, it's not something that you need a special training or special degree and if we look at those words that we read from Paul Paul actually spells out to the church at Colossae and I think to us as well um, just how naturally that should happen. So verse 5 we see the first thing it says is make the most of every opportunity. That's what I'm talking about. When you come to church it's an opportunity 
to go and to talk to somebody, um, to go and share with them, to meet somebody who perhaps we don't know, to make them feel welcome. Um, God is saying that when we um, are in situations, then we should take the opportunity to speak to somebody. And then verse 6 is very practical. It says this, that in your conversations, first of all, it should be full of grace. And can I suggest that grace is the opposite to law? Grace is that sort of welcoming and acceptance without the other person necessarily having to earn our acceptance or even um, being allowed to talk to us. That's why we welcome everybody. Um, when, we, when we go and talk to people, we're not about being legalistic or judgmental or trying to make decisions about people. We're to be open and attentive and embracing and listening and welcoming, um, cautious, tactful, um, engaging in conversation. What type of conversation? Well, the verse goes on to say that it should be seasoned with salt. Um, don't bring those salt packs along and um, sprinkle people with salt out there. I'll know what you're doing, but it's not literal. But it's saying that salt has some qualities. Salt is like a purifying, it makes good things. And so when our conversation with people is made, our, our aim should be to build them up, not to pull them down, to encourage them to be all that they can be. And when it talks about not only um, being purifying, but it also enhances the flavour, then we should be cultivating conversation so that we get to know people. Um, it's okay to ask about, or talk about the weather. But don't leave it at the weather. Try and cultivate an interesting conversation. And then finally it says this, it says um, that those two things so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's not saying that you've got to be an expert and have all that information, but what it's saying is this, that in that conversation we're not telling people what we think that they should know, we are listening and responding to the questions that they're asking. It's a conversation that we have. Some years ago, I was um, privileged to go to the Solomon Islands and work with the South Sea Evangelical Church. And um, one of the people who was a very godly man was the bishop of the South Sea Evangelical Church, a huge denomination over there. Um, we were good friends and one day we were walking down the main street and there was a team of people from I don't know where, it's not Queensland, some other state and it was like that they had gone on an evangelistic mission where they were collaring the local people and they had a creed. Basically they were telling them they had to repent then and there or they would go to hell. And so we walked up to this gentleman and he accosted the fellow who I was with, he ignored me and he started telling him about these verses and said, unless you repent, you will go to hell. And I said, excuse me. I said, this brother here is actually the leader of the denomination, South Sea Evangelical Church, a wonderful Christian man. And the fellow said to me, I don't care who he is. If he doesn't repent, he's going to hell. That's not what this is talking about when it says answer questions. Sometimes we actually think we have to try and force what we think onto somebody. This is not what it's about. Grace is not about telling people what they should do. It's about responding to them as they go through. One last thing, and I'm moving fairly quickly, is that grace to newcomers can only be a reflection 
of the grace that we show to one another. So we can't put on a net. You know, people will see through it if we're all welcoming at the front door, but when they really get to know us, they know that what we look like at the front is different to the back. And so Paul writes to the church at Colossae in that regard too, just back a chapter in Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. And this is um, verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put in love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, that's what, that's grace in action together. And to be brief, rather than say what that verse says, I've, I've, I've done the Stephen Ball amplified version of that verse. So if you listen carefully, I have not taken one word out and I've just added it as though it was written to us here at Brackenridge. So just listen very carefully. Therefore, Brackenridge Baptist Church, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, as a result of your relationship with Jesus, allow the fruit of the Spirit to show. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to dominate in all of your relationships and forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. In the same way as you have been recipients of God's grace, be givers of grace. And over all of these virtues, that is of all these values, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Values bound together by love. And Jesus knew that that was the strategy of the church reaching the world. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. God's calling us to be a church who value grace. And what I'm suggesting this morning is that we value both the grace that we've received and that we actually value the grace that we are called to give. One last story, Amazing Grace. There's a famous hymn called Amazing Grace written in 1772 by John Newton. For the best that I can tell, John Newton wasn't really a very famous hymn writer. He wrote a number of hymns, but there's not too many that we would know today, except the words of Amazing Grace, which would have to be one of the most popular hymns down through the centuries. He had a story about his experience of receiving grace, and his life portrayed his giving grace. You see, John Newton had a rather unfortunate, troubled childhood. His mother passed away when he was six years old. He was pretty much a non-conformist and um, he lasted in school till he was about 11 or 12 and then he went on to a ship um, and started to learn the life of being at sea. From what I can understand, he fought against all sorts of authority. He tried to desert from the Royal Navy in his 20s 
Later on, he was stranded in West Africa where he was forced to be a servant of a slave trader there but was eventually rescued. Here was a man whose life um, was a mess. Um, There was desperation and pain. God was at work in his life and sometimes God's work is not just that dramatic and so the story is told that when he was coming back um, from Africa on his way to England that there was um, a, a terrible tempest and Newton cried out for God to save him and he was saved from that storm. But when he got back to England his life didn't change and so when he got back to England he became a slave ship master which he did for a number of years, where he would go and get slaves and take them to England and to then be sold. And he would talk about um, the fact that he did intolerable things um, to the slaves who were under his, um, part of his cargo. And then the story says in 1754, he actually encountered God, which led him to turn his back on the slave trade and he became an Anglican minister and an influential speaker and preacher in England of his day. John Newton's fame really was um, not because of his hymn writing abilities but because he was a key person with William Wilberforce that led the abolition of slavery in England and eventually around the world. You see, he knew what it was to be totally lost and in despair and to receive a grace from God that was so powerful that it changed his life. How do we know that? Well, you've only got to think about some of the words of his song. So we can understand that when he says, I once was lost but now am found, was blind but now I see, he knew the amazing grace that he had received. He was able to write from personal experience through many dangers, toils and snares. I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe this far and grace will lead me home. It's such a a deep meaning as we realise his story that he could write, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed.'" He was set free, not because he deserved it, but because of God's grace. And he committed the latter part of his life with others to set many millions of people free um, through the abolition of slavery. What's it mean for us as a church? We're a church that God is calling to value grace. We can talk about us being gracious as a whole. We also need to accept it that we need to be people of grace individually. We receive God's grace. Can we show it to others? When we say about Brackenridge Baptist, everyone is welcome here at our church. No matter what your past, you are welcome with us. It can't just be a slogan or a gimmick. It actually needs to be an expression of the heart of us as God's people. And so we're going to respond now as the band comes and um, shares with us with a couple of songs. These are particular songs that talk about God's grace. And I'm going to ask you to sing if you want to just stop and think, but I want you to bow your heads and to, to pray. 
And there's two questions that I want you to think about. One is, what is the magnitude of God's grace that he has shown to us? And the second thing is this, how is it that God is asking us to show grace to others? Even this morning, even after church, as we go into the week and into the months that lie ahead.